listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, an anatomy contest featuring What's in the Box. Is it a Folks? contest? I don't think I agreed to this. Nerds, you must do your best impression <laughs> of the What's in the Box line in whichever celebrity voice you choose. And go. Carol Channing. Work in the box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, okay. That's awesome. Jerry Seinfeld. What is the deal with this box? Is there a head in it? I don't know. <laughs> There's a head in the box. <laughs> that's not okay. Okay. Can we not do other people's impressions? Sorry. I think that's really offensive. <laughs> Sorry. Like yours isn't good enough, so let me do it. No, 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 no. Damn. <laughs> that was just the Brando one. The Brando was so good. Yeah. Marlon Brando. Buona Santa. What is in the box? Why do you always have to say Buona Santa? <laughs> Is that like your? Is that's, that your metronome? That's his. That's his warm up into it's, it. It's just. It's just. It's like. It's like when Ralph Garman does Al Pacino and starts. Oh, you know. <laughs> it's, you have to have something that exactly. It's like yes. a safe word. You just kind of you go and it okay. brings you into okay, it. Okay, Sean. Okay, I'm gonna do Leon Phelps. Uh, what is in the box? Is it or is it not a fish sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Oh, it's that bitch's head. <laughs> oh my uh, god. Okay, Ben Stein. What is in the box? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> it's a severed head. Severed head of anyone? <laughs> yes, yes. anyone? It's right, Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> okay, someone has to do Arnold or I'm going to explode, please. I can't do Arnold. Sean, I can do it. Do Arnold. Yeah! Okay. <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> what is it? Sean, do me now! <laughs> do it! Do it! <laughs> uh, Christopher Walken. <laughs> what is in the box? <laughs> is it a pie? <laughs> I like coconut pie. <laughs> I had a good one years ago. Oh my god. But if it's not a pie in that box, I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> oh god. Oh uh, man. Are we tapped out? Estelle. Oh Estelle. 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 Who the fuck do I have to fuck to find out what's in the goddamn box? <laughs> <laughs> Where's Alan? <laughs> Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, what's what's in the box? <laughs> is it my eight tracks? I mean, it's a very lovely macaroni box. I, it's a, it, it is. It's a very lovely macaroni, and I it's particularly ordered the um, eight track from Craigslist. <laughs> it was like the only one available. <laughs> right. well, while we're doing that voice, let's do Milton. From, yes. Oh God! From oh God! Oh God! Sarah! 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 Sarah. Um, um, have you has anybody seen the, the box? What's what's actually in the box? I went to HR and I asked what's in the box, but then nobody told me what was in the box. So I went down to the payroll and still nobody was telling me what's in the box. I just I, I just really wanted to know what's in the box. <laughs> Sean, do Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson. Okay. All right. So hold on. <laughs> what is in the motherfucking box? All right. Switch. And roll. then a shark comes out of the box <laughs> and fucking rips his head off. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Oh, God. Listen to me. <laughs> what is in the goddamn box? <laughs> You're playing bullshit, aren't you? <laughs> Starting out with listen. That's the best choice you've ever made as an actor. <laughs> best choice you've ever made as an actor. Oh, oh guys, I'm in pain. Oh, we gotta do one more. We gotta do one more. Okay, Sean. Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert <laughs> Godfrey. Okay. Thank the Lord. So Detective Somerset and I, with Kevin Spacey for some reason, drive out into the middle of a field. 
a really fucking creepy van rolls up, and I wonder, is it pizza? I didn't order pizza. So the guy gets out of the van, and he picks up a box, and he hands it to me, and I look at it, and I look at Morgan Freeman, and I can't help but notice those freckles look like a fucking constellation. So I'm totally lost in the freckles. And then I see the box. Then he looks in the box. And then I want to know what's in the box. And nobody will fucking tell me what's in the box. <sighs> I, just, I, I was lost in the freckles. Oh, my gosh. That was the greatest I don't know. I, I, I was, all I thought in my head before I did that was, okay, he's going to do a long story about <laughs> driving out into a field, and I just fucking went with it from that point on. Oh, see, you know what I would have wanted to hear, though? I would have also wanted to hear Morgan Freeman switch roles and do <laughs> what's in the box. Andy Dufresne was sentenced for putting his wife's head in a box. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. My head is literally swelling from, yeah, from that, that actually, Oh, my God. Oh, my face hurts. Oh. Oh. On that note, everybody, welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Sean Moriarty. I'm Roxy Noberry. I'm Sarah Ashley. And I am Brian Moriarty. Oh, my God. That's and a we... special guest star tonight <laughs> is Gilbert Gottfried. Tonight, I'm... we're talking about David Fincher films. <laughs> Speaking of God. the panic room, what a piece of shit. <laughs> I, like, really, Sorry. Sean, I... <laughs> the amount of, like, impressions that you can pull out of your ass <laughs> No, I incredible. can't do that many. <laughs> it's it's I breathtaking. I can't do that many. Stop it. You're <laughs> Absolutely incredible. I have a core group. <laughs> I started Gottfried tonight, though. I've never tried it before, but I've always, ever since his aristocrats joke, oh, I've been enamored with him. Oh, you Moriarty brothers are really something else. I got, well, I'm actually glad we got to rep- bring out uh, Mr. Connery again because you know it's been a while since Connery's been <laughs> on the podcast. Listen, be sure to read my autobiography, The Ship Shrank. I just, I swear to God, the fact that Sean loved your listen so much. Listen to me right now. Listen to me right now. What's in the goddamn box? We named the dog Indiana. We named the dog Indiana. That was my favorite line that Sean Connery has ever said in a movie. Uh, Oh my God. The Carol Channing one I had to do because that was perfect. It was the perfect one to kick it off. So, what were we doing? What's in the box is one of the iconic lines from. A Fincher movie, Seven. Yeah. Um, which, if you guys didn't know that, why are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck out, seriously. Um, but I think what we want to do in this episode is really talk about David Fincher's work and the fact that he's made some movies that are have like really ingrained themselves into the pop culture. Yeah, just the you, like the the I got the zeitgeist. That's it. That's, That's the exactly word. The zeitgeist. You know. Yeah. And so there's some there's some yeah. like really important stuff there. Seven Fight Club, Zodiac, uh, Zodiac. Room, well, Panic Room. Eh. Um, but Social Network. Me. Social Network. Mm. Uh, social Network. The Social yeah. Network. Dude, House of Cards. Damn your stupid play. <laughs> That's my play, Sarah. Am I, I being mentioned in this show? Am I being mentioned? No. Job. Okay, sorry. So David Fincher, he's made some great films. He's done some great work, and he has created a style unique to himself. And you know when you're watching a Fincher film. That's what I love so much about David yeah. Fincher, is that his style is so unto himself that no other director can really you know, duplicate it or <clears throat> you know, better it. They really can't. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, he... He's known for making, obviously, very dark, gritty films. And there's a lot of directors who do that, but yet he does it in a way that is unique. Yeah. It puts his kind of fingerprint totally on those and films. I, yeah. And I think that's due to the fact that he's very obsessive and he does do a lot of takes when he uh, when he directs. Like, he always wants to get it perfect. He'll do... I've heard stories, specifically in an article on gadfly.com, which was an interview with him about how he will do almost 100 takes sometimes wow. if he really needs that shot. Yeah. Wow. And, and that's actually very indicative of other kind of auteur, very genius-like filmmakers. Um, Kubrick was known for doing that, too. Orson Welles was Orson known... Wells. Did that. He did, like, 60 takes of one shot in Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's just somebody who's brave enough to not shy away from style. Mm. And I think... Yeah. And it's going to sound kind of weird, but, like, I was watching Girl with the Dragon Tattoo earlier today. And that opening, aside from, like, kind of being a little bit of a James Bond-type opening. Totally, though. <laughs> um, yeah. Where it, like, goes on forever with all the credits and, like, the song. Yeah. Um, which, 
the Trent Reznor, Karen O version of Immigrant oh, Song was God, badass. That's so good. That's but, Yeah, it is. But it's because I think he's got that, because he has that background in doing music videos. Exactly. It felt like a music video for that song. Dude, do you remember the opening for Seven? How yeah. that music yeah. video was like that? Oh my God. Yeah. And God. the thing is, is unlike other fucking directors like Mick G, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he doesn't just use those style shots all the time and just try to recreate, make a two hour fucking music video with Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz and fucking Lucy Liu. But <laughs> or Michael what Bay he does is he takes the, the great way. parts, the really awesome artistic parts of music videos that make some of the best music videos the best music videos, and he takes those parts and puts them in his movies. Yeah. He yeah. uses them to enhance parts of the movies. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, interesting to note, McG, like David Fincher, their first feature film uh, was a studio film. No, it wasn't, kidding. yeah, they both didn't really get a chance to do independent work. I mean, they'd done music videos and short films, but they'd yeah. never done a feature with a studio until they got to a studio. So. so Fincher's first film was Alien 3. Yes. Yes. And, and it's making this, me very nervous. The just fact about is, it. the Fincher is quoted as saying, no one hated it more than me. To this day, no one hates it more than me. Yep. And I, and part of this article, which is entitled, by the way, David Fincher's career-long response to Alien 3. That's <laughs> in the content. Yeah. Uh, he talks about how he was very stifled during the making of that movie, and he wasn't really involved in the editing process, and he's so sour that he didn't have anything to do with any of the like um, the extended cuts that they did for DVD releases in, in the box sets, if you remember yeah. the oh, Alien wow. Quadrilogy, which isn't a fucking word. But they it's true. <laughs> came it's up with the Alien Quadrilogy, and they've done another one, I think, called Alien Legacy or something like that. Yeah, because yeah. they wanted to work And that's in. the version I watched last night, was oh. the extended one, and oh, was it long. Yeah. And yeah. You know, to be to be fair, I mean, Fincher had a lot working against him, too. He was already in an established franchise. We were kind of talking about this last night, and that's really, really tough. Uh, even when uh, Sean and I kind of got into a debate about artistic control for first-time directors, mm -hmm. and I think had it been the first Alien movie it would be a different situation. Obviously, it wouldn't have been the same movie because Ridley Scott, even though I hate the characters, the content of the movie, I can recognize and appreciate the significance yeah. of Ridley Scott's stamp on that work. Exactly. And James Cameron's in the second Indeed. one. He was able to sure. convert a film from a science fiction horror to a complete action adventure story. Which is they a mostly come out at night. Mostly. Exactly. So, and exactly. Fincher is quoted as saying Alien is one of his most one of the films that influenced him the most in sure. his whole repertoire of films that have influenced him over yeah. time. So, like you were saying. Yeah. I mean, every first-time director, there's been lots of stories of first-time directors getting in conflict with studios over for whatever reason it is. And it could be for stupid shit, you know? Um, it's kind of like when you hire an external manager at a company, and they're doing their own thing, and they don't quite know the company culture yet. Yeah. And there's going to be friction when it comes that way. The guy who did fucking dodgeball got into, <laughs> got into odds with the, the studio. Wow. And, yeah, he wanted to have creative control over the ending. But, I mean, there are other factors that can contribute to that, so. Yeah. At the same time, Fincher is the type of a director who has such a strict and, and specific vision for yeah. all of his An films. uncompromising vision. Exactly. Yes. That I could see why this would be <clears throat> such a passion play for him. You know, that if it's his way or the highway. Yeah. And the fact is, that after Alien 3, he didn't go back to directing for three years. And he retreated to doing music videos because he sure. was so burnt by the system. I think part of the problem with when you're gonna go in, even as a first time director, doing anything that's a sequel or a threequel to anything, you're gonna have trouble. Yeah. Because unless you're willing to play by what the studio wants because the studio is the one that has control over the franchise, you're gonna kinda go at odds with something. And <laughs> unless you're unless you're willing to like I think suck up or play the game it's a little different. So I think that's probably part of the problem. Yeah. yeah. Well I mean it, it's true. I mean if you think about it, like Thinking back to other third films and trilogies, and like Return of the Jedi, right? Yeah. Richard Marquand was Lucas's like DP, I think, on Empire Strikes Back, and it wasn't even him. It was obviously Irving Kirshner who did that film. He picked somebody who wasn't going to have too heavy of an artistic control <laughs> over it. You know, I mean, he wanted Spielberg, but Spielberg couldn't get because he had left the DGA at that point. So uh, DP double penetration. Oh, double fisting. <laughs> oh. Yes, DP is a double entendre, folks. Yes. It means director of photography, and as Sarah says, double penetration. Brian, I hear what you're saying, though. No, absolutely. <coughs> Your point is incredibly valid in that sense. It's it's hard. So the part of the debate we had yesterday was I was I was from the point of view that you should let a director, if you're going to choose a director, no matter who it is, 
you should let them do their thing. You already have the script. You have the people that are working on the art of it. And and speaking of the art, this is what I found weird, is they stifled him so much in creative decisions when it came to parts of the script, but they had confidence enough in him to let him pretty much, with the uh, guy who was doing the animatronics and the, the special effects, redesign the alien. Because in the first two movies, the alien, the xenomorph, stands up more upright. Mm-hmm. And in this one, they made it more like a, a big cat. They had him on all fours, and he moved totally differently. And so you let him change the look of it completely, which is a huge part of that trilogy, but then you don't let... You, it's already such a... If you guys haven't seen this movie, it's already such a fucking weird script. Why not just let him do what he wanted? It could have been better. Well, and that's, and that's fair. I'm just saying you're... But as a first-time director, you haven't necessarily proven it. The studio's not going to be... They're going to be so confident, but maybe not completely. And it's. I'm just saying when you have a franchise, it's harder... To that cre- cre- that creative struggle is more difficult. Yeah, and, and I see, and I think that's that's a very valid point. I, but Sean's point is 100% no, valid, yeah, too. No, yeah, yeah. And in fact, most studios... Well, the, the truth is, look, uh, when I was going to get my finish my theater degree, the theater department was merged, was also a film department. We didn't have different departments. One of my film professors I worked with uh, works in the industry. He's an Academy member. He's been nominated, actually, as a producer. Nice. And he was a cinematographer originally. I think he knows the industry pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells actually a really good story, an anecdote about Disney. When Disney wants to hire a first-time director to do a feature film, what they will do is they will give him, or them, I should say, a three-minute scene from the, from the movie. And they say, okay, here, make this. And everyone thinks, oh, this is my chance to be, my, to be a director and yeah. I can, you know, express myself. And all Disney's looking for two things. Did they finish it on time? And did they finish it with the money we gave them? Oh, wow. If they do those two things... I said it before in the Independent Film Podcast, make whatever the fuck movie you want to make. Yeah. I will say, though, to, to the point, if Fincher's the kind of director who will take 50 to 100 takes to get a shot right, that makes a studio nervous because you're taking extra studio time and extra studio money to get that shot. Yeah. So I could see why a studio would want to intervene more on it, but I also see Sean's point, too, about artistic integrity and wanting to trust the director to just get their shit done and get, it, and get the product to be done as best as you can. So it's a very complicated argument. But, you know... He's obviously still a great director, and he's still a director that's working. So it took him maybe a second or two to get back into it. Piggybacking off of what Sarah said as far as Venture being able to keep his artistic integrity strong, I really feel like that's one of the strong points of Venture as an artist, as Mm -hmm. a director, is that he goes into every project with a clear vision, with a theme, with a story, with a moral tale that he wants to communicate through dramatic storytelling. Yes. And he succeeds at it every single time. Even if it's based off a book. Exactly. (laughs) Even if it's based off a book, he still manages to make his own style. I mean, yeah, you're referring to Girl the Dragon Tattoo. Girl the the Dragon Tattoo, Fight Club, and uh, Social Network. Seriously, though. And and, um, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, even. Yeah. Yeah, Yes, that was of Scott Fitzgerald. I forgot that was. There you go. He made it. Yeah, I always kind of forget that that's a Fincher movie because (laughs) I think maybe because it's a period piece. It's so it's so unusual for his kind of work that he's done. I agree. Yeah, but but again, so 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 Zodiac. Fair enough, but you know, uh, Brad Pitt. So well, (laughs) Brad Pitt has been one of his constant collaborators from the start. So is Trent Reznor, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at Seven Sevens, I mean, that was more with Nine Inch Nails, but they are so heavily. Yeah. I mean, there's the iconic song that kind of opens that movie, but Mm -hmm. Trent Reznor also did the whole score for. Social uh, network, social, social network, network yeah. exactly. And he yeah. got an Oscar for it, so. yeah. which is great. I mean, I honestly feel like who in mainstream Hollywood was giving two fucks about Nine Inch Nails mm-hmm. before that happened? I know, exactly. right? And the opening song to Seven, uh-huh. I wanna fuck you like an animal, like, like that yeah. closer song? is such a Dude, oh, that's such a good song for the film. It was perfect yeah. again. Yeah. Fincher's clear vision that yeah. he knows everything he's doing is calculated and that's why he takes 100 takes to do a scene. Sure. Because, I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, that makes the point too that like that clearly shows his background of being a musical uh, a musical, a music video director, right? Because sure. he understands how to, the importance of syncing sound to the picture at the yes. right point. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so I would like to kind of cover how each film that Fincher has done Okay. okay. has really kind of portrayed a director who is coming into his own and really succeeding film after film after film at creating films that stand on their own 
whether or not they're a cult classic or a box office success, mm-hmm. either way, you know that they're a Fincher film. In the same vein that you know it, that a Spielberg film is a Spielberg film, that okay. you know that a the Scorsese film is a Scorsese film. I feel like Fincher has established himself as one of the greats. Thanks yeah. to his short but brilliant filmography. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, first thing that stands out right away is, in any of the films, cinematography. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can look at one shot and you're like, that's, that's Fincher. My first Fincher film I ever saw was Fight Club. Yeah. And from the start, dude, I remember I was like 13 years old. And that film caught me so well. It just, it reached into my chest, ripped out my heart, and fucking hammered it into little itty bitty pieces. And then, you know, it ate it, and then digested it, and then ate it again, and did all these fucking things to my emotions. I mean, Fincher did such a brilliant job at taking that novel that was, you know, that was a, uh, uh, who is the, the Chuck writer? Palahniuk. Ch- Chuck Palahniuk, thank you. He took Chuck Palahniuk's work, the body work, that was already standing on its own as a popularized, you know, cult classic in its own, um, with very, very visceral and serious themes and fincher made it his own you mm-hmm. know the film and the book uh, Panik actually wrote a new afterward um in the future publications of fight club and he commented on how the film brought new obviously popularity to the mm-hmm. book but it also became something bigger than the book and yeah. Panik was a little bit uncomfortable with that yeah. idea that it changed yeah. the whole point of the book for him a little bit yeah the thing I thought was really funny is Palinuk is a comic writer, right? He's very dark, but he's ideally, he's oh, kind of yeah. like a satirical writer. Black comedy is the blackest of black. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the ending to the novel version of Fight Club is slightly different. Mm. Uh, one moment that I thought I wish was in the movie is all of the support group people. Oh, yeah. They somehow find out that um, Bob is, in, not Bob, whatever the Edward Norton's character is. We don't really establish his Jack. name. Jack. Yes, it's Jack, exactly. They establish that Jack is in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. So they all go and they're at the building outside because like, they think he's going to commit suicide. And they're like, no, Jack, don't do it. Uh, we, we support you. We're here for you. Nice. You know? And I just thought that was such, that's such a funny that would have been really good to put in there. To bring in just like, because it gets so serious <laughs> with the whole Tyler, Tyler fight, exactly, that ends up happening. In the same regard, that ending scene of Marla Singer and oh, Jack standing. so good. That final quote, you met me at a very strange time in my life. Yes. One of the most <laughs> iconic yeah. moments in cinematic history for me. It's, you a, know? it's a good one. Great yeah. closing shot, too, as oh. it's like, as it's dollying with out. With the you pixie see... song? Oh, the pixie yeah. song. Dude, the it's pixie perfect. song charted uh, for years after that film came out. Dude, the part where the dick gets cut in. Again. <laughs> at the very end, yeah. Cigarette so burn. So good. <laughs> so good. Well, there's actually little bits throughout the whole movie of little quick little splices. One is of, like, mm-hmm. Brad Pitt, I think, and David Fincher kind of, like, smiling for the camera. Nice. Two that gets cut in. If it you is, look, yeah. you can find them. That's amazing. Yeah, Sean? Katie and I watched it... Uh, Katie and I watched it last night, and I made a point through it, because this was only the second time that she'd seen it, and she had passed out, like, two, I want to say, with, like, 20 or 30 minutes left in it the very first time we watched it. But this time we watched it, I made her, I was like, watch, and you'll see the flickers. And then she'd see it, and she was like, whoa. And then we'd stop it and freeze frame it. And some of them are really creepy. Like, in the very beginning, when you see a flash of Tyler Durden, when they're introducing, I think it's A, I'm not sure if it's AA or one of the support groups. Yeah. And when you look at the splice, uh, Brad Pitt, as Tyler Durden, has his arm around the dude that's leading the conversation. And it's super creepy when you look at it frozen. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, definitely. And this is also a technique that he did in his music videos, too. And it's also done, I think, it's in, because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't Fincher do one of the Nine Inch Nail videos originally, early on? I don't on? know. I haven't seen any, but um, I think so. It looks like, of all the music videos that he's done, he has done, well, so yes, he's done only in 2005. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. So this is before that. But yeah. um, I feel like that was a technique that was used in Seven, too, for like the opening montage, that there were these quick little splice cuts. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, it, it gives that the, the viewer the sense of urgency and the sense of sure. kind of creepiness, unnervingness. And when you see a flash like that, you, like, like Tyler says, they don't know they saw it, but they saw it. You in your mind, you saw it for a split second, so your mind's trying to figure it out exactly what it was, and it leaves you open to to create your own version of what it is that may be worse than what it really was or may be more tame. 
very personal. Yeah, nice, that's nice. It's brilliant artistry. I'm trying to figure out if the char- if the character who Edward Norton played um, his name was actually Jack. I feel like the only reason we did that is because that one scene where they were reading the books that they were that they found um, in the house where it says like I am Jack Sadula Oblongata, and yeah. the character actually doesn't give is not given a real name. Yeah, correct. I think in the novel his name is Jack because he was, he's just referring to himself as a third person. But uh, you're right, his okay. name is never actually mentioned. By yeah. anybody else other than Edward Norton. So. Exactly. And they really just call him narrator. Yeah. Um, but Jack is a really... It's it's, an, it's a character all unto itself. Indeed. So Fight Club, yeah. One of... Let me see. So in the lineage of Fincher's films, we have Alien 3, 7, The Game, and Fight Club. So Fight Club is only his fourth film in, yeah. the whole, in his career. Can we talk about The Game? Yes! I love The Game. The Game is, such, is such an unsung film in his... <sighs> Lexicon. Totally, totally underrated. Great movie. I mean, it was done like only like a year or two after. Nice. Awesome cast. It's got Sean Penn. I mean, Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a year or two after Seven, right? Is that yes. what you're saying? Yeah, I think Maria Bello's in it too, right? She plays the waitress. Uh, no, not Maria Bello. It's somebody else. Is it Mary it's Lewis? Deborah Kara Unger. Okay. Yeah. Looks she like Maria didn't Bella. really do too much afterward, but. Yeah, no, she's she's a te- television actress. Very almost no one esque in, in the psychological nature of it the whole the idea that this guy's being this guy is he's being played with by someone who is you know this is quote unquote his game that he's Mm. and he has to get himself out of these really really weird circumstances and he's a multi-millionaire he ends up losing his wealth he ends up like broken mexico and the ending is priceless yes sir did you mention that it's that it's actually a gift from his brother? Yeah. Well, it's supposed th- to be like a life-changing, enlightening experience. Because that's the point. He's taking his life for granted. Yeah. And his brother wanted to teach him how to regain an appreciation for what he has. Right. And what's, I mean, total spoiler alert. So, yes. Yeah, so, yes, he does give it to him as his birthday gift. All this crazy shit happens. He ends mm-hmm. up going to this one big party where he thinks he doesn't know his brother's there. He ends up shooting his brother <laughs> and like, oh my God, what life's not worth living. And he throws himself through a ceiling and you find out at the very fucking end that even that was planned. Yep. The gun was never loaded. He fell onto, it was sugar glass. He fell onto a pad. They tell you right at the beginning of the movie that exactly what this is. It's a game. So they tell you this is all going to be set. Stuff's going to happen to you. So prepare yourself sort of. But even the audience members, just like Michael Douglas, start to believe that it's not a game. And mm-hmm. you lose yourself in the middle of the movie until the ending. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the one scene where he drives into his driveway and finds the clown doll just yeah. there, uh, it's cited as number 44 on Bravo's list of the 100 scariest movie moments. Yeah, and yeah. it was that moment alone that yeah. sold the movie as a thriller. But it Definitely. really was more of a... It's not really a thriller. Like, it's not. Yeah. It's more of like this just twisted mystery more At than anything. At the same time, Fincher has been able to market himself as a director of thrillers. Because of the tension that he maintains throughout scenes with the music, with the editing style, with the the color, the coloration of the scenes themselves. Again, cinematography every single time. And I mean, that is more, no more true than like in Zodiac, right? Absolutely. Zodiac, I say, was probably his best thriller in that sense because the the tension and the um, suspense. The suspense was brilliantly sure. portrayed in that. Yeah, it raised absolutely. a lot of questions. That film was very successful. Yeah. The, the moment, my favorite moment in that movie, too, is when he goes in to talk to, um, what's his name? The, 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 the guy basically says, I'm not the Zodiac, and even if I was, I wouldn't tell you. Arthur Lee Miller. Arthur Lee Miller, yeah. yeah. There's a sign that's outside the office, right before he goes in, it says, warning. Uh-huh. And it's only in the background. It's so subtle, but it's just like... You get that vibe, and it's like, and it just goes speaks straight to Fincher's like <gasps> visual sense of of giving you clues and like, hey, check it out. This guy's this guy's it. This dude, guy's dude, dude. This guy's gonna creep you out. Fincher's the king of subtext in that sense. Yeah, exactly. Really, truly so. So, uh, Fincher's definitely one of my favorite directors. And Seven and Fight Club are two of my most favorite films of all time. I mean, they just rank up there because of the fact that Fincher is so good at making murder mysteries as well as featuring characters that are so morally flawed and yeah. their journey and also the the examination of the psychopathy of a serial killer too sure i love that stuff um in the last episode where we were talking about teenagers and the kind of 
the hint toward psychopathic behavior. Um, and I kind of touched on briefly antisocial personality disorder in that sense. Um, and I kind of wanted to speak on it again because I wanted to make a brief correction. Um, I had mentioned that there was this kind of triad of behaviors that were sort of indicative of um, psychopathic behavior in children. I had mentioned um, enuresis, which is constant bedwetting. I had also mentioned violence toward animals. And the third one included in that is fire setting. Ah. So you have those three mm. patterns of behaviors. And antisocial personality disorder has been in the DSM since 1952. So it's been long established. Okay, like this type of psychopathic behavior has been observed for a really long time. And then what they noticed is that the people that were most notably fitting into the psychopathic behavioral spectrum, ser you know, serial killers, um, that they had this patterns of bedwetting as children, as killing animals or hurting animals, um, and fire setting as well so yeah. not to say that those three behaviors are you know automatic you know key ins to you're a psychopath you're a serial killer but they you are indicative to, they are very much indicative and so i think i love what fincher does especially in seven oh, with yeah. uh, kevin spacey's character oh my god how um that guy one of the most unnerving villains of all time oh my god yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's they, because also, it's kevin fucking spacey yeah. amen sister yeah sean and in that movie seven one of the greatest films of all time i think and you think roxy hell yeah can you think of another murder mystery movie where everybody's totally okay with the bad guy essentially winning at the end oh i know right right yeah oh. and, the, and the hero breaking down at this point Seriously. and killing him yeah the scariest scene in that movie yeah uh is when they find the sloth guy oh, because he's still alive god that was like oh this guy is a whole because at that point you the audience members like this killer is a whole other level of Dude, fucked up they go into his fucking apartment okay yeah. you see you literally go into the mind of the serial killer you see all his journals you go into his bathroom where his father's corpse is rotting in a bathtub yeah i mean <laughs> fincher god bless you dude yeah you are not afraid he's the most fearless director i think i've ever scene. Yeah, and another scene that in another film that represents that I think is um the hog tying scene in Zodiac too. Oh my god. Right? Yeah. You want to talk about psychopathy, a complete disconnect oh, for human treatment, so tying him up like an animal and then this and the fact that the move the shot the camera barely cuts. Mm -hmm. You pretty much just are watching a murder take place mm -hmm. and it is that was more chilling than I think anything else I've seen Definitely. in any of his films. Yeah. Basically what we're saying is David Fincher is really good and at least once in every one of his movies at making you feel very uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. He does it in every single movie. <laughs> like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the rape scene, I oh can't handle God. sometimes. But then the comeuppance is so good <laughs> that it's like, okay, I'm semi-okay with that scene because of what it led to. Yep. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this, this also, this, uh, I'm um, Sparty Kiss. I'm Sparty Kiss. I'm Sparty Kiss. <laughs> I don't think there's a moment in the social network where you feel very, very uncomfortable. Oh, bullshit. Explain. Which part? If you were in, as into the movie as I was, all of the scenes where he's faced with his best friend yes. and they're doing their legal mediation yes. Any scene with Andrew is Garfield. so fucking unnerving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I, I can see that. Yeah, um, because Andrew Garfield, I think, was giving so much realness in yeah, the moments. Absolutely. And he was accessing something so rich and so deep that yeah. Jesse, you know, Jesse Eisenberg's character was obviously his counterpart in that sense that jesse's character is so cut off and then andrew garfield's character is so emotionally volatile and so willing to just unleash all this vitriol that 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 kind of counteracting i mean they were just they were working off each other so well yeah all right so uh, i think you're standing on andrew garfield's cock i love andrew garfield's cock. Yeah. i know i was just gonna say you and your andrew garfield obsession <laughs> he is a big. pretty damn good actor He's i will say he is really good uh, our imaginarium of dr parnassus Oh, was the I first thing I saw so him in. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, that... Yes, Sarah? Sarah. I'm sorry, I've been quiet for like 10 minutes. So I'm sorry, sorry say something. Watching <laughs> us sure. go on. Sarah is still breathing, folks. I'm still here. Just like, there's no room to interject. Um, well, actually, I did want to say something about Social Network because a lot of people watch that movie and they assume that mm -hmm. that's how Mark Zuckerberg is and Mark Zuckerberg's a complete dick. Oh, yeah. I know people who work at Facebook. That movie is not popular it's on the Fincher's Facebook. It's Fincher's portrayal of that story, yeah. though. Well, it's also based off of the book The Accidental Billionaires. Exactly. And they took a lot of dramatic license and Mark Zuckerberg 
was just not a fan of that movie. No. And they also, there's one key difference, too. Yeah. He's been with his wife since 2003, since when, since before he even started Facebook. Okay. They kind of, Aaron Sorkin, as a brilliant writer as he was, kind of made Zuckerberg into this whole um, flawed, like, person who's incapable of maintaining relationships. Yeah. Yeah, and lonely. Um, and lonely yet, but that's not him. <laughs> like, no, the, um, but it works for the story though. But it's the symbol of who he, what he did. Yeah, it's the symbol of the type of decisions that he made, and it's the symbolism behind that that I think Fincher was willing to go with, no matter how inaccurate, no matter how kind of character bashing it really turned out to be. I think he was still going for a moral story here. You've got to have an antihero. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's true about that movie is the 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 Winklevi. Um, <laughs> the Winklevi claimed that they had the idea for the for Facebook Twin first. desk lamps. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, sorry, that Speaking was a callback. Of Kristen, I'm six five. I'm two hundred pounds, and there's two of me. Oh God, <laughs> Kristen Stewart got one of her first movie roles in a Fincher film, Panic Room, oh, as Jodie right. Foster's daughter. So talk about a great, you know, uh, coming out story for her. You know, she started out really strong. Kristen Stewart started out. Really, she did start out really strong. Really strong. And, and Panic then, Room was it. And then she yeah. started with, now she's just acting is just... It's okay. Jodie yeah. Foster actually wrote a really good um, letter about that. Can I actually make my point that now is no longer relevant? <laughs> I'm sorry, Sarah. <laughs> it was like, it was like, wow, and now well, it's Well, I so thought, we paused away. and I thought you were going to say something and then you didn't say anything and then Brian went on, I can't see you guys, so... No, Brian just started yeah. talking and then it went on the social network tangent. <laughs> sorry, we're getting so excited about Fincher, I know. I think, unfortunately, okay. it got thrown away. But go uh, ahead, Sarah. But what I was talking, what I was going to mention was because you guys were talking about the tension yeah, that yeah. you feel when watching the movies, right? Right. Earlier, I was watching Girl with the Dragon Tattoo today. It was my first time watching it. And it wasn't even the rape scene that actually had me the most tense. I was definitely disgusted. Oh. But I wasn't really, it wasn't the tension. It was the long period of time between when the audience, I hope at this point, has figured out who the killer is. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say anything. Versus when the guy gets like when Daniel Craig's character is talking to the killer Mm -hmm. that whole time period Mm -hmm. you're just like get on with it totally get on with get get on get on with it it's gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) and you're just and you and you're just like and that one I mean I almost felt I didn't almost I felt frustrated oh my god yeah but I think (laughs) that was I mean it was definitely a listening response for sure at this point I had kind of like at the, I think this movie was a little long, mm. but but that part I think was played really well. Yeah. Looking back yeah. on it now, I'm like, yeah, that one that one was played really well. Panic Room, yeah, was one the entire length of the movie. I don't even remember how long the movie is. The entire I think it's dur- only like an hour and a half. The entire short, yeah. hour and a half of that movie, and I saw it in theaters. I felt tension, but that is because I'm extremely claustrophobic. Oh, snap. And I was actually, like, I almost walked out of the movie because I was, like, having to pace my breathing. Oh, my gosh. So much because the idea of being stuck in a room freaks me the fuck out. (laughs) One hour, hour 52 minutes, everybody. Yeah. You were wrong. (sighs) Oh, wow. Um, To go to your point about the whole sense of knowing and feeling Mm -hmm. uncomfortable, I mean... Fincher's a master at dramatic irony. Oh yeah. At that point cuz there's moments like that in Zodiac too just like oh, oh my yeah. god. Oh my god. Yes. Oh, yeah. he's, he's in fucking danger. Oh my That's god. That's exactly yeah. what yeah. that right. was about. 7. You know when you finally find oh, out yeah. when Kevin, you know, Spacey finally reveals himself uh-huh. and you just waited. There were so many moments when they were driving out to that field that you just wanted something to happen. You wanted the car to crash. You wanted Somerset to just fucking come over and just rip him, you know, and just oh my god, I felt so horrible. Oh, that's why that movie yeah. is one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the, that was the moment. Fuck, when he does a splicing shot, there's yes. a splice shot of Gwyneth Paltrow's head in the box. Oh, God. It's yep. there. It's it's totally really? fucking there. It's a brief moment, and you see, uh, yeah. I own it. I gotta go back and watch it again, Yeah, though. you can find it. It's pretty creepy, because she mm-hmm. has, like, this whole, like, it's oh. it's her, and I don't know how they did it, but I am guess it was like, okay, we'll cut a hole in the box. Uh, Step yeah. one. Uh, <laughs> step two, we'll put your head in the box. Oh, step no. three, make him open the box. Um, and that is awesome. <laughs> uh, but she has. Oh a my very... god! It's we gotta get Gwyneth Paltrow to do a video for us. <laughs> it's my head in a box. Hey, you know what? Well, Justin Timberlake and Gwyneth Paltrow have now worked for Dave, for Fitcher, so hey. maybe he can it make it happen. Possible. He could direct that music video collab. Um, but just she has a totally vacant stare. Oh, so god. it's like it's brilliant acting on her part for the one frame you see it. <laughs> 
god, I have to check it out again. I mean, I watch that movie at least once a year because I love it so much. But I watch it going to bed a lot. I'm not. <laughs> it's I'm a not good kidding. Bedtime movie. <laughs> it's a bedtime movie. My fiance is like, let's put on something soothing. Yeah. Like seven. <laughs> sleep too. Dude, let's put on natural burn killer. And I usually <laughs> pass out right like I the moment I'm the most happy and just ready to go to sleep is where you see that dude with the giant knife on his dick like get this off of me that's right when i'm like at the most yeah that's when i'm the most serene wow Wow. you know what's interesting a little fun little factoid is brad pitt actually broke his arm in the filming and they've caught the scene that he did it in the moment that he falls from the building onto um the sidewalk Oh, yeah? When he's chasing Kevin Spacey's character. Yeah. Remember the whole famous hotel scene chase? Uh-huh. Yeah, um, where, where Kevin Spacey's out, yeah. dr- dressed as the blank from Dick Tracy. Right, right, right. Where he like <laughs> photo, he takes pictures of them, and they don't they think it's a paparazzo. Turns out, you know, it's actually him. Um, there's also another... Oh, well, actually, leading up to this chase scene, um, they find his apartment, and then he walks up on them and takes off. So they're chasing him. Brad Pitt, you know, catches up to him, but falls from the building. And it lands on his arm, and you see Brad Pitt react. And the fact is that in that moment, he actually did break his arm, and they used it in the film. So he's wow. actually in a real cast. The rest Damn. of the film, he's yeah. you know fucked up. But uh, I, I love that That's factoid, cool. you know. As Fincher probably calls yeah. it, a happy accident. Yeah, much exactly. to the chagrin of Brad Pitt. I know, right? But I just love the fact that their relationship was so developed from that point on. You know, that they continue to collaborate. They make great art together. Most notably, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which was a Ooh. lovely movie. Yeah, that good, was that was one movie. that didn't have like that thrill and that tension or whatever. But it was, it's such a good story. It was his epic. Yeah, you know, his it was. Big... It was nice. I don't think. I don't think that's going to be one. I mean, aside from like when it was really good at the Oscars. Yeah. I, that's not going to be one of those ones that's as memorable as mm. Fight Club or Seven or maybe not or one of those, yeah. but it's still one of those ones that you can look back and be like, that is great filmmaking. Yeah, so. because you know what? It really was a departure from his typical style. It was a fucking Christmas release, okay? Yeah. yeah. That movie came out on Christmas. Me and my family went together to see it and like, we're going to go see a Fincher film and we're not going to get freaked out. Like, this is strange news. You're not going <laughs> to get Fincher fist fucked. Exactly. By, as John would say it. Mm-hmm. Although I guess seeing like, like wrinkly old baby <laughs> Benjamin Button was pretty freaky. I know, right? It was pretty damn freaky. There, yeah, there may not have been thriller parts of the movie, but there were definitely moments where you were uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I was uncomfortable oh with God. how eerie they were able to make Brad Pitt look younger than he was. <gasps> the moment when he's like he's like the twenty year old Brad Pitt when they're in the ballet studio and she's right. talking to him and his face isn't like kind of silhouette, but it's like he looks like he was from back in uh, Seven Years in Tibet, like oh, that era Brad right. Pitt. God, they got God. his hair. <laughs> They like CGI'd his skin so beautifully oh that it was like flawless. So yeah. That was Sarah, like, calm down, <laughs> yeah. dude, dude, dude. No, that's my favorite Brad Pitt of all the Brad Pitts. <laughs> no, I'm Legends surprised, of like the that's fall. not that. <gasps> my loins, <gasps> my loins. I'm not even into long hair, but Brad Pitt in that movie. <laughs> no, you know who's really hot in that movie is Anthony Hopkins <laughs> near the end. Where he's like, riding on a truck like, on chest. He's like, long hair wrapped in bear skin uh, <laughs> with uh, a half-dead face. You guys, I have a confession to make. Yeah. In middle school, my AOL instant messaging screen name <laughs> was I Love Brad Pitt 624. Oh! <laughs> Why you look like Jennifer Aniston oh, so much? It is, it is. I want to be her. Oh my god! We all had embarrassing shit like that oh. with AOL Instant Messenger. I was yeah. really obsessed with him. Yeah. For my real. my AOL Instant Messenger handle for the longest time was me and your mom bone. One word. <laughs> oh my god! And I would talk to family members using it too because Jeez. I just was too lazy to have more than one account. Oh I was just god. like, yeah, this is my name. Deal with it. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. All right, guys, I think that we have covered a lot of Fincher today. And I really appreciate us going into that because Fincher, I value him so deeply. He's one of the ones that just gives me such a deep appreciation for the art of filmmaking and for cinema, you know? Totally. And and just he's so good at it. God damn it. (laughs) He's so good at it. (laughs) So now that we've, you know, waxed poetic on that, I'd love for us to get into feedback. Listener feedback. Yeah. We got some feedback, actually, from a longtime Nerds on History listener who has now converted to also being a listener of Nerds on Film, folks. Woohoo! Stevie from Portsmouth in England. Uh, he says, Sarah, Roxy, Brian, Long Dong. 
Love listening to your podcast as I have such a limited knowledge of films. I'm a history fan, but now join in on conversations when my friends are talking about movies I've never seen. The discussion usually goes <laughs> fine until they make a break of a scene that you didn't talk about. <laughs> then I just smile and nod. <laughs> However, as a working musician, Spinal Tap is a film I've seen many times. I've been playing corporate gigs in London for the past few weeks, and not a week goes past when we haven't gotten lost en route from the dressing room to the stage, <laughs> or where we all shout, shout, shout rock and roll. The film is pure gold, as is your podcast. Aww. Thank you for all the episodes, and look forward to them every week. Take care, Stevie. Yay. That's so nice. Thank you, Stevie. You're the bomb, Stevie. Rock and roll. That was awesome. Um, let's check the Twitters real quick. The Twitters. Das Twitter. We are checking the Twitters. <laughs> our friends over at Girls with Issues. GWI. Also, uh, we're talking to our buddy Arnell, and they were, they posted a link to a YouTube video, um, and she said, "This is awesome." Dardami needs to see us. Did anyone watch that video by chance? I didn't. I didn't even know that that happened. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. It was four days ago that this happened. Oops. Oh, what if Igmar Bergman directed The Flash? <laughs> As in, like, Barry Allen. Yeah. Red with lightning bolts oh, inside nice. of his head. Flash. Flash. <laughs> Oh my god, this is so Bergman, Seven Seal. Is he playing chess with fate? Oh my god. Are we gonna watch the whole thing right now? Oh yeah, it's got like another minute left. Yeah. So. Alright, fine, that's enough. But it is so it's very, very funny. mocking of Bergman's uh, style. Yes, that's yes. awesome. That was right. awesome. Arnell and Girls with Issues, Billy, Vicky, thank you so much for sharing that with us. We really appreciate that. We Thanks love your awesome. flavor of nerd. I also do have a little bit of uh, listener feedback that came via text message to me from a friend, um, Jill, who's been on the podcast before, wanted to oh. say that she's catching up and she really likes the addition of Roxy to the show. <gasps> yeah. So, we love you, Roxy. So Aww. she she awesome. wanted, uh, wanted you guys to know that yeah. she really likes that contribution from Roxy cool. and she also again, was pleading with me to somehow make it work to have <laughs> a, a nerds on books type Ooh. podcast. So um, as nice as that would be, like I was trying to explain to her, I was like, I know, but I would have to leave the show because I dedicate my <laughs> my book <laughs> reading time has transferred into movie watching time. So. However, I will say, if she has another co-host in mind, let's continue that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Like I said, if somebody else wants to do it, that'd be great. I just couldn't be a consistent contributor. <laughs> Interesting enough. Yep. Yeah. I think that Gilbert Gottfried would be a really good host for the show. I love actually <laughs> just hearing it without seeing the video now because yeah, it just right. sounds that much more appropriate. I love, I love to read. Particularly, my favorite story is Peter Pan. I love Captain Hook. It's crazy. I also read the back of a Peter Pan peanut butter bottle <laughs> on the toilet once. Don't ask. Okay. Uh, I want to bring that up because I don't know if you guys heard, uh, he's been cast as Captain Hook in the now uh, revived TV musical of Peter Pan on NBC. Shut up. What? He's going to be playing Captain what? Hook. What? Yep. They haven't cast what? Peter Pan yet. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. We'll cook a cake quite large. <laughs> and fill it in between with icing laced with poison until oh it turns oh a tempting green. Wow. Goodness gracious. At what point is green cake fucking tempting? I would eat green cake. <laughs> uh, Ooh, princess cake is covered with green fondant. Ooh. That's okay. right. Baking bitch. Baking bitch. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Uh, um, on that note, <laughs> on that note, if you like this podcast and you want to give us some feedback, uh, by all means, hit us up on our Facebook and our Twitter accounts at Nerdonomy. You can also go to nerdonomy.com and use the feedback button at the top of the page. And hey, Roxy, tell us what else can they do when they go to nerdonomy.com? Mm, they can do many a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we know what they what you want them to do. But will, tell us what also they can do. I want do. them to touch themselves while oogling and ogling our donate button. You want yes. them to jerk off to charity? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, philanthropy so I know a stripper hot. named Cherry, Ugh. so I can kind of relate. Yeah, man. Why yeah. would you say that? For shock value? Jesus, Roxy, that's funny and there's offensive. Good day to you, ma'am. <laughs> I'm just going to use that because that's fucking cute. Um, yeah, man. Just with Carol Channing whenever yeah. you do serious movie monologues. It'd be amazing. <laughs> I should figure that shit out. <laughs> Father to murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I'll have my vengeance. And this time for the next. <laughs> wow. I'm Maximus Decimus Meridius. <laughs> <laughs> Oh I like how you've like added this like super thick lisp. It doesn't have that Not much of a lisp, but it's, it's great. Awesome. Um, you can donate to Nerdonomy via the donate button. No donation is too big or too small. Either way, we'd love for you to help us out. Um, if you got a dollar, we will take it. Hell yeah, and we'll do a dance because uh, dollar bill, y'all. Yep, <laughs> we'll do a little dance. We'll make a little love, and we'll. We'll, we'll get down tonight. Get down tonight, we'll man. Pretty much get, get down, down tonight. tonight. Exactly. <laughs> uh-huh, um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also, if you uh, have a little more money, uh, you can also use our Audible link on the right. Oh, yeah. And right. sign up for the free trial, and we'll get a commission. And if you do sign up for the subscription, we'll get a commission as well. Yeah, go to Amazon as well via the links on our site, and you can get we can get some little bit of commission from anything you do via there. But Which um, is good, because you need to go out and watch these Fincher movies. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. A couple of them are on uh, Netflix, but I'd recommend purchasing yeah. for themselves for yeah. yourself. Yeah, using uh, I watched Girl the Dragon Tattoo today on Amazon. Nice, myself, so nice, nice, nice. Yep, yep, nice. Okay, nerds, it's that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into us next week, same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. See ya later. Bye. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. My God, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Oh, that was the one I was going to do, too. Good job. Because it sounds better when a lady says it. Yes, it does.